Mama, I got bad news, bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes. I've been trying to get a bag to, a bag to. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's twcrecoverylife.org. Hello, everybody, watchers, listeners, supporters of all kinds. Welcome to another episode of the Weekend Ramble on the Ask to Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Chuck LaFlange, and I am in Thailand for this recording and for all future recordings as it, as it, uh, as, as it goes here. Uh, with me, of course, are my two lovely co-hosts. We have Attica in Vancouver on the downtown east side. How are you doing, Vag- Attica? Good, Chuck. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. I'm hot. I'm a little sweaty. I'm trying to, you know, mitigate that. But, you know, here we are. And, uh, <laughs> of course, we have Lisa in Calgary. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Uh, I'm excellent. Excellent. It's uh, It's been quite the journey here. And I guess maybe maybe we can just start off by talking about that because, you know, you know, whatever. I'm, I have an ego and I'm a bit narcissist, but, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm in Thailand. That's a thing. Um, I'm in Phuket at the Yatra Treatment Center right now for some trauma treatment for a 30-day residential program. Um, haven't started the programming yet. That'll be on Monday. It's right now Saturday night here, Saturday night late here, actually. Um, so right now, like Friday, it was just kind of getting used to things. They don't do programming on the weekend. I went to the night market uh, tonight, which was interesting to say the least. Uh, huge, just huge, right? Um, Yatra itself is just the most amazing place. You know, I've, um, there's a guest here, one from Luxembourg, one from England. Um, we've, you know, got to chat quite a bit. Uh, I can't really say anything more about them, of course, because confidentiality, right? But, and, uh, you know, I mean, you've seen the videos online. If you haven't seen the videos online to anybody who's, who's, who's watching or listening to this now, uh, check it out. They're on the Facebook page and I'm, I'm trying to upload a couple a day anyway. There's just so much so much right i've got my gopro and there's i've got more footage to, to upload to, to the site than you can imagine right that's all like you know so so yeah that's happening it's a, it's a pretty amazing experience so far but um mike miller um invited me over it's um in a big dose of generosity and um i'm gratitude beyond words i'm grateful beyond words the whole experience right um, people who support me through the gofundme and, and some private donations outside of that as well i'm the two of you as well, of course, are on that list. Thank you, by the way, Attica, for, for your donation as well last week. Um, so, yeah, that's that. <laughs> I guess that covers that. Um, yeah. is, there any, is there any, you guys got questions about what's going on here or, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit curious about a lot of things. Um, I suppose it would be, yeah. So you start programming on Monday, is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be Sunday night for you, Monday morning for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. do you know what that looks like? Like, is it sort of um, all day well, for a, six hours a day or? I have a schedule. No, and it's very, it's relaxed, right? It's very relaxed. So there's like some EMDR in there. There's yoga. There's mindfulness. There's like the whole day is kind of mishmashed with, with different things, right? And mm-hmm. well, the whole week is kind of set up that way, right? So I have next week's schedule. And the thing about Yatra is they, everything is so individualized for you that, and I, it never even occurred to me now until you asked me about that, Lisa, but I have no doubt the reason I don't have next week's schedule is because 
that'll happen when we figure out mm. this week and what, you know, as a yeah. result of this week. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of cool that, uh, that they do that. I, everything, everything is so individualized here. I mean, the meals are individualized. It, it, I don't like spicy food. They just changed their whole world for me. And there's no spicy food on the table all of a sudden. And, you know, it's pretty cool. And let me fucking yeah. tell you, bananas. I love bananas. <laughs> like, I love bananas. Now I really love bananas. It's, 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 they just taste totally different here, right? Yeah. Like, totally the different. bananas <laughs> in, like, you know, that side of the world, it's like, it's, it's oh, not just like this one dessert. banana. Like, yeah, it's like there's, like, the smaller bananas. And, like, I used to eat bananas like crazy. Like, it's like the real bananas. Yeah, right. Like, I don't know yeah, what that is. Yeah, here right. it's, like, sad bananas. It's boring. It's just one sad, shape. Sad bananas. Right. I think that's yeah. the name of the show. I think that yeah, has to be the right. name. Yeah, that would be today's sad episode. Bananas. Yeah, that's the name of your yeah. podcast, right? Like, um, um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, name of your sex tape. That's what I'm always saying. That's the name yeah. of your podcast, right? <laughs> sad bananas. Yeah. Add yeah, bananas. So, yeah, yeah. That's funny. I have to um, remember that one, Attica. Yeah. Go ahead, Lisa. And then Chris, do you are you assigned to one of the therapists? Like will you have a main therapist that works with you? Well, Mike is the EMDR guy, right? Like he is okay. the EMDR guy. So Mike Miller, of course, who's been on the show for anybody who's listening. Um and then they they've got different therapists for different things, right? So okay. um it, it really is a holistic approach that they use here. Like there's just mm-hmm. so much coming at you. And, and as it goes, um, I'll definitely be documenting those experiences. I, I mean, obviously not sharing the in therapy stuff, but um, mm-hmm. certainly some of the insights and some of the things that I, that I get from therapy, I'll be sharing as we go. Right. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's Do they cool. assign awesome. you like, is there like a psychiatrist or like a counselor there? They're all there. They're, they're all here. Right. So I don't have like a caseworker per se, if, if that's what you mean, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not big enough for that. Right. Like right now, there's only three residents here. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not like, and I think they max out at seven, I think is, is okay. where the max is. Right. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's just not big enough to, to have like caseworker kind of style thing. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at that. This is in the fridge in my in my room, right? A bunch of these. You know, like that's that's some old school stuff happening there for you, right? Love it. So I love it. I'm very happy for you. Ah, as am I. As am I. Right. So it's an adventure. Super happy over there. I am super happy over here. What's not to be happy about? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, It was it was funny today because I've been fortunate in my past to do some traveling, right? So we're at the night market. And I'm looking at, oh, she would like that. He would like that. Like, of these souvenirs, it's like, fuck, I'm not here for souvenirs because, like, I'm not going home, right? Like, I'm actually here for some stuff I need this time. Was this a whole new, like, that kicks in, like, five times Mm -hmm. a day. It's like, this is home now. This is home now. This is holy Mm -hmm. shit, right? That's what this is. So that's kind of a cool cool thing Mm -hmm. to have kick you in the butt a few times a day, right? So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, I ended up bringing my entire computer with me, right? So... Uh, instead of getting a laptop, right? So um, that's interesting. <laughs> getting that fucker on a plane and getting it all set up, and you know. Right? And so, was so, it in your check bag? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fortunately, I've been a packer mover most of my life, so like, if anybody could get that fucker in there and keep it safe, it's me. You know. Wow. Right? I, I got to tell you though, like the one side of it's a glass panel, so like to uh, for me to unpack it and that be un undamaged was like, yeah. Okay, still got it. Still got it. You know, right? and amazing. It was like fifty-one pounds. I was actually over by one pound, right on my weight. Like everything was because like, I'm packing my whole life is you know right, into what turns out to yeah. be three bags. So that was yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so before you went to Thailand, yes, you went back to Saskatchewan. I did. I did to visit family and reconnect. Um, things took a turn that um, it wasn't part of it. Like it wasn't wasn't supposed to happen that way. I was um, going into the city to meet somebody, um, spend some time with 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 an old girlfriend, and uh, that didn't play out the way it was supposed to. So I ended up uh, reconnecting with some old friends, and oh, that was tough. That was tough. I saw things through a lens of sobriety and not just sobriety, not just recovery, but because of this show. And it's, as you all know, I'm very, I'm hyper empathetic, right? And, and trying to help people so much for the last year, uh, to see the things that I saw, it, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking, right? Um, some survivor's guilt, you know, uh, and, and I'll talk about Jess specifically, the one I spoke about in, in the video on Facebook. Um, and it, so people can maybe get some perspective about what the reality is for so many out there, you know, uh, Jess is a sex worker. Um, she's homeless. It's getting cold. It's, this is, it's Regina. That ain't no joke. <laughs> like it's cold as cold there. And she starts out her day dope sick every day, every day. She's got a hustle up enough money to turn into crypto, to get an online ad going for, to be an escort, to find a stranger, to sleep with her, to get the money, to get the dope. And by the time she does all that, she owes so much that what she does get to keep is just enough to get her through to the next one. And that's her day. That's her fucking day, all day, mm -hmm. every day, right? And her family's, you know, she's been estranged by her family. I've, um, I, I, and I've known Jess for years. I knew her before opiates. You know, I knew her when it was just Coke and crack, you know, that kind of thing, which is such a ridiculous thing to say, but um, it was really, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't it's know. It's the reality for so many people. For countless <laughs> people, for countless people. I don't even know, like I could have, I could have spent three weeks visiting people and not run out of, of people in my life that, that I wanted to see and connect with and, and try and reach out to, right? Here's the thing, even now, after a year, even now with all the resources I have and connections I have and people, I don't know how she gets out of that. I have no idea, right? You know, yeah. I think, yeah. I know the reality is statistically, I'll probably never see her alive again, right? I know that and it's fucking horrible and it's sad and it's, but I mean, what do we do, right? We just got to keep doing what we're doing. Sorry, back <laughs> early on, right? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. I find that um, uh, being like a frontline worker, I see that when people are getting sober, they have a different relationship with dope, right? They have yeah. they 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 gone through this thing where. Um, they they were you know users and then you know and then and then they they changed their relationship with dope and now they have this different relationship with dope but because of that i see a different kind of relationship with people who are sober to versus basically to people who who are still using drugs basically yeah. in their entourage mm -hmm. um 
sometimes I see like there is there's still like empathy but I also see a lot of cases where it's like they're most almost stigmatizing the people that are still using because I did it this is what you can do kind of thing right like this is what I did this is what you need to do and and yeah I I understand that to a point you know at the same time at the same time though my journey is so much different right and it's two perfectly good perfectly good cases mine and hers right I have Mm -hmm. this vast network of people who were like welcome back Chris welcome back come back into the fold you know give me a hug yes we support you (gasps) she doesn't have any of that Uh she doesn't have any of that and maybe she has more than she realizes she probably does because you know you've heard me often say the perceived lack of connection was the boot on my neck but it's so hard to to even think that those things right like it's it's so hard to even wrap your head around that when you're just trying to fucking survive you know that's a that's a conversation i remember having once with my brother um and he was homeless at the time in edmonton middle of winter living in a storage unit yeah and i remember saying that to him i said I feel like you're so busy trying to survive each day that you're never stepping back and realizing and seeing the chaos that all of this is or seeing and realizing that, that you can hit stop and not everybody can, you know, again, he was fortunate that he had a family who, who had the resources and the desire to help. But I remember spending that day with him and that's what I was hearing in the, in the story was just, it, it was just, he was trying to survive the day. Like he couldn't, yeah. he, there was no time. There was no time. There was no space query. You know, was there the mental capacity, you know, that's yeah. a separate topic, but there was no time. Like he was so busy trying to survive literally, like literally yeah. survive, have yeah. food to eat, you know, somewhere to get warm for a bit, drugs so he didn't get dope sick, that he couldn't even step away and and have the perspective I had. Like I was listening to this and I was like, this is just stress and chaos and shit. Fucking right it is. And I was just like, just come with me. Like, let's just stop. But again, such, you know, yeah, just wrapped up in the the chaos of it and the survival Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, um, right. So right. I've I've not into like, you know, it's not like I'm into math or whatever, but I remember when I was homeless and it's all about like surviving but also being um preoccupied with the trauma and the PTSD that you have, the nightmares that haunts you. And I would I would find places to sleep in downtown Vancouver. So I would like sleep in a dance studio. I would like sleep at the gym that opens super late or things like that. Hey, like, as is the awesome listeners, the following PSA is brought to you by the Phoenix. The Phoenix is not just the gym. It's a community where the real weight lifted is not just barbells, but hearts, minds, and spirits. Whether you're in recovery or simply choose to live a sober lifestyle, the Phoenix offers a range of activities from yoga to hiking, all led by people who've walked a path of transformation. So why not aim higher with the Phoenix? The first membership requirement is just 48 hours of sobriety. Rise from the ashes today and soar with the Phoenix. Hey listeners, let's take a moment to talk about something crucial. 
carrying naloxone. This life-saving medication can reverse an opioid overdose in minutes. You might think, I don't need it, I'm not around opioids, but the truth is you'll never know when you'll be in a situation where you could save a life. It's easy to use and many places offer it for free or at a low cost. So let's be prepared and look out for each other. Remember, you might not plan on being around opioid use, but you never know when it'll be around you and you could save the life of somebody that is loved. This is Jared Blaine with the Blacklist Podcast. And remember, or late or things love. like that. Like yeah. no fixed address, like 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 no fixed place to sleep. And yeah. I would like text my friends or things like that. But it's like you you barely get sleep. You don't yeah. get sleep. And that's I right. think when Lisa was saying, like, okay, we'll just get out of that chaos. Like it's so hard because you you're like your full-time job is just tending to your own trauma to your needs to survive and to avoiding a more fucking trauma so hard <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you're right you're right so yeah when you you've only got so much capacity anybody does right so when all of your mm -hmm. time and energy is going into surviving the next half an hour hour day whatever how do you mm -hmm. possibly think ahead how do you possibly do those things yeah. mm -hmm. and again I'm a fucking year into it. I know so much more than I did a year ago, and I couldn't tell her how to do this. I couldn't. Not that she would listen anyway, because again, she's too busy trying to survive. But I, I don't know. I don't know what the answers are, right? And that's it's it's a really, which led me. To, and this is not about me. It's about her. But the survivor's guilt that I that I feel now when I'm here. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's overwhelming at times because it's like, fuck, right. Like how many people just got left behind and they mm -hmm. didn't cause you know, I'm doing everything I can to help. And, and I think this is my calling, but that's, that's the rational side of Chris, right? <laughs> the, the, mm -hmm. the, the irrational um, survivor's guilt is just, it's, it's something, you know, right. I don't even know why I'm going to ask this question, but I'm still curious. Like, <laughs> do you think that if Jess had an avenue to wellness, do you believe yeah. that she would take it? I do in this, for her particularly, because she just experienced two months of cleaned, right? Of sobriety, oh. right? So just, and she relapsed and like she wanted it. She wanted it really bad. And she was, that's part of the reason that we've connected again. Because when she was clean, we were talking every day, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you see it. Okay, there's a couple days. Now there's a week and it's been two weeks. I haven't heard back from you. And it was a month. Right. And I know what's going on in that time. And you try and explain. <laughs> um, she's finding reasons not to like, oh, well, this guy, my guy, you know, he, he was like, he was a guy that helped me get clean or it was my mom or it's like, okay, but helping her to understand that she's the one that got clean, right? That, that, that was you that did that. That wasn't because of this person. You did those things, right? You decided to stay clean. And, and I mean, she was using oat, right? But, um, whatever, right? Methadone, Suboxone, oh, whatever God, it was, yeah. but you know, whatever works. So in this case, yeah, I do think that, right? But mm -hmm. what, you know, now her family, and here's the fucking thing about relapse. It's almost better. I shouldn't say that. It's almost worse when you go, when you get better for a minute and then you relapse. I think for the families, that is so hard to accept because they get their hopes up and they, they, you know, you commit yourself to, okay, my, my loved one is, this is where they are at in life. I'm ready for that phone call. I'm ready. And, and I don't know, I'm not the loved one, right? I haven't been there. Lisa, you, you know, you can certainly relate to that more than I can. Um, you, you commit to that and then they get better for a minute and then 
they relapse and how crushing that is to that that loved one and what they and, now they have to survive this too though right like you have I think to shift for me you know? it's also and i feel like this is something that i'll do with families you know if that don't catastrophize the relapse yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it is a relapsing remitting chronic illness obviously yeah. the hope is that people obtain abstinence or sobriety and they maintain it and for me being on oat is not lacking sobriety like so yeah. whatever <clears throat> whatever you need to do do it yeah. but if people relapse i think the worst thing that the people around them can do is make it a big deal which sounds kind of silly but i think the person themselves when they relapse it's already a big deal <laughs> you know they don't need yeah. their family to highlight it and catastrophize it and make it bigger. And to me, it's like, it's not about if you relapse, it's about what you do with it. You know, clean time's not lost. You know, like if you've had two months clean or a year clean, you've still had two months clean or a year clean. And, you know, it's like the, the worst thing for me is that when there's two, when the shame is overwhelming around a relapse, that, that people can't, can't talk about it they can't admit what's happened that just fuels them to stay stuck in the relapse and that's the problem which was, which was a case for me right at what 100 when i when i yeah. relapsed last year right? yeah so yeah um, it's like okay like there's been a relapse what are we gonna do like you yeah. know to me yeah. and you can learn so, from a relapse like fucking what, right, what led right? up to it like that's, the fo- that's very... what the focus should be yeah and like what do you learn this time yeah so speaking to that very thing um, one of the things I found super interesting about it, and now through this lens that I never would have thought of before, she spoke about, I remember calling, I remember thinking I can do this. I, I remember, but I don't know what the fuck was going through my head. I don't like it all of a sudden it's tomorrow and I'm back on the street and I'm relapsing and it's next day and it's next day. And she kind of spoke about how that it was this automatic thing that just happened. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Ryan and I have spoken about that quite a bit, the neural loops. Yeah right? That, that kicks in. So whatever it was for her that, that triggered it, you know, she, she doesn't even remember really clearly the thought process that got her to that point, much like myself with my own relapses. I can tell you, I, re- I remember making the call, I remember all those things, but I don't remember why the fuck I did it. Right? I just remember that. Well, I it's did like, it, he, it's right? like if you're so, in the woods and, a, and you turn around and there's a grizzly bear standing there, right? Your reptilian brain activates to try to keep you alive. Right. You're going to just act. You're going to run. You're not going to sit there and go, hmm, there's a bear. I wonder what I should do. Should I stand here? Should I run? That's not going to happen. It's an instinctual (laughs) action of your reptilian brain to make you act, to keep you alive. When you look at someone in active addiction, that's the part of their brain that's turned on, that is hyper lit up. And the frontal lobe where you would go, hmm, is this a good idea? Should I, shouldn't I? What would be the consequences? That's not working. And so what you're describing yes. is actually biologically exactly what is happening to somebody. Yes, right. So, you know, explaining that to her and, and here's where, here's where the podcast and, and this network of people, the next time I talk to her, I'm going to use that verbiage to explain it to her, Right. Um, because I, I know this, I know exactly what you're saying, but I was having a really hard time verbalizing. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, maybe that'll help her take some of the guilt off of that. And, Mm -hmm. and the other thing is, is I have her mom's number. I'm going to reach out to her mom. 
Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I can help raise that yeah. connection, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. And the other yeah, thing I, I think was no, Sorry, no, no. you go first. You go first. You go first. Just, just to close this, but like the, I think with relapse, there's. No, it's such a Canadian thing, right? No, no, you no, go. You first. go. No, no, you go. The polite. I'm already no, catching it here. The difference, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think, think that there's okay, the shame <laughs> of relapse, which leads to secrecy, and there's also I've also witnessed where when people have a relapse they get defensive about it, which I, I think is yeah. still shame rooted. But I think it's yeah. either the shame, the beating yourself up, the secrecy, the defensiveness, that's the danger of a relapse. And I think that the more families and friends catastrophize a relapse, the more that somebody in it mm -hmm. is encouraged to, to kind of let that loop play out. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I see like, that. Um, I was gonna say, so, I know someone who is basically for what six years and a very very close friend of mine I would think of her like a brother and she at like like he he finished college so he's really educated and his dad is an engineer and mom was abusive but basically like also smart he got into addiction and then um, when we met he was basically had like eight months of sobriety. So it was like, you know, knowing him and, you know, we, we became good friends. And then yesterday when I was um, attending, sorry, a few days ago when I was attending the funeral of my friend in the, in the, in the hood, he, I saw someone like, I, I want coffee. I got like trying to get it from my hand. And I was like, yo buddy, what the heck? So I was like, are you serious? Like, this is my coffee. I need my coffee. Like, don't do this. Like, you want coffee? Ask me, but don't take it from my hand. And I looked at, like, his face, and I'm like, oh, my God. There it is, my friend, relapsed. And just in the worst, worst shape. And I just, oh, my God, you need to come with me. There's, like, some food in the memorial. There's some hot coffee. Go take my coffee. Like, you know, but... The, the tough thing is, like, I ask him, like, what do you learn this time? You know, because he didn't get places to sleep this time. Like, it's the worst shape that I've seen him. So, you know. Seeking a path to heal from trauma? Discover Yatra Center in Phuket, Thailand. Yatra specializes in EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. A groundbreaking therapy transforming lives globally. Why choose Yatra? Nestled in the tranquility of Phuket, Thailand, Yatra offers both online outpatient services and immersive residential programs. Their expert therapists ensure that traumatic memories are processed, becoming less intense and more manageable. Research-backed and globally recognized, Yatra's EMDR approach doesn't just ease the pain, it targets the very core, facilitating deep healing. Whether you're at home or at their serene center, Yatra paves your way from trauma to tranquility. Don't let the past overshadow your present. Choose Yatra. Transform pain into strength and step into a brighter future. Visit yatracenter.com and embark on your healing journey. No, it's it's like, it's, yeah, it's like you want to help them. You kind of want to respect their, 
uh, self-determination, but you also want to help, but you also want to intervene. It's, it's, there's that dilemma, right? Oh. Yeah. Yes, right. And which, which is a conversation that we've had many times here on the show so far, right? Since, since mm-hmm. you've been co with Asatica. And I think it, you know, that, that goes back to that mandated treatment idea and, Fuck, if I could just get think, you, like, here for just a minute to think straight. But imagine you know? your child. Go ahead. Okay? Sorry. Like, imagine your child. Uh, like, you know, nope. you, nope. you're you talking about your friend, and, hey, I've got great friends yep. who I love, who I would help, you know, to the ends of the earth. When it is your child. Yes. I mean, yeah, you know, before I had, I had Alexis late, right? I was in my late thirties when I had her and, you know, I had a dog and I was like, I'm a dog mom, you know? And like, no offense (laughs) to the dog moms in the world. Like I get it. You love your dog. I'm there with you. But like, I would, you know what I mean? Like the experience that I've had as a mom. Your child. Now, now if your dog (laughs) bit your child, how, how much of a dog mom are you? Right. Like there's a, yeah. there's a fucking different it's, level. of. I almost there, feel like right? as a parent, you know. it's, it borders on like a crazy, like it's a crazy, yeah. like, I'm just yeah. like, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, I've been pretty vocal about it, but yeah, I'm all about yeah. mandating right. treatment. And so and, <laughs> you know. it and was actually you heard me say, and, and I've, I've talked about it. I tell people all the things I'm supposed to, when a mom calls me or messages me for advice, right got to be there you have to show you know make sure they know they're loved all those things but if it's my kid if it's my niece or nephew ah, mm-hmm. fuck right exactly. I, don't, I don't know i don't know what i would do i don't know what ends i would go to right so yeah yeah fuck it's scary man scary right um, um oh, chuck can i ask you about spending time with people from your life who are still using like what was okay. that like for you did you feel did you ever feel like you were walking on thin ice where you're like oh like this is really easy to slip back into um i was aware of that um fortunately i wasn't around my drug of choice which helps a lot right like yeah. a lot a lot um but what was your doc um it was coke and crack than meth Right. So, and I guess that there was some uh, meth around, but the meth was never no. extremely compelling for me. It was, you know, yeah, but crack yeah. cocaine, same, same as yeah. my friend. And now, had I been around crack, there's no, like, yeah, no, I would have had to get the fuck out of there or be like, that's how that ends. Right. Like, I don't think I'm not that strong. I don't think I'm in a place right now where I could be hanging out with a bunch of, no, right. Because I really like crack. But, mm-hmm. um, through this lens now, right. Because, because of the show and because, like, I just, that's where my, my, all my focus was, right. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't on me or my troubles. It was just like, I want to connect with all of you. I want all of you just to come with me and I want all of you to be better. Aww. And what can I do? Right. Like it was just, mm-hmm. it was really hard. Actually, it was really mm-hmm. hard to leave. And, you know, it took, I had a hard time getting a ride back to Moose Jaw, which almost turned out to be a good thing because it, it really just gave me that, that chance to connect to, for a little bit longer. And, you know, I was very yeah. worried about you. I know you were. I know you were. I was I hunting even think down you knew Norma. What was going on. I know. I heard. I heard. Right. And you know, I woke up to a message from my mom. God bless her. That said, I think you might be relapsing right now. Please, if you are, just come home. Right. You know. And I it's like, I immediately called her. The moment mm-hmm. I read that message, I was like, okay, I'm going to call her. Right. I'm going to make her feel better about this right now. And I don't even know if I did make her feel better about this. She said it in the way mom says it, 
And it wasn't accusational. It wasn't any of those things. It was the way you should handle it if you feel somebody might be relapsing, actually, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was with warmth and, and with acceptance. Um, mm-hmm. I took no offense to that. It took me a long time to get to a point where mom thinks that. And it's going to take a long time for her not to default to that, mm-hmm. right? if ever. If ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I, what that, well, I'll tell you what I did though. I screenshot that message and sent it to the girl that was supposed to be driving me back to Moose Jaw and said, can we get our shit together now, please? Cause this is where my mom is right fucking now. Right. <laughs> like this yeah. is where my mom's thoughts are. Could you get your ass over here and drive me please. Right. And yeah. It took me to the end of that day still, but finally I did get back there. Right. So. But the crazy yeah. that is yeah. me, Attica, yeah. I called Chris 20 times. I, I went and counted 20 times. I called I him. Remember. I texted him 12. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah. And what? I was, when, and then I had, on what? On WhatsApp and on your cell phone. And then, um, and I then I went to that. Norma. I did not I was know like, that. Norma? I am so sorry. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I had no idea. I have to go back and check my history now. Oh my God. You did it that many times. Just, yeah, I actually thought you were going to look and think that I was crazy. <laughs> Why? Well, but okay, fuck that. Because here's the thing for the same reason that I didn't take exception to mom's message. I went two years with the perceived lack of connection being the boot on my neck, mm-hmm. right? And a lot longer than that, one, you know, really, realistically. To have people that give a shit about you, fuck mm-hmm. no, right? I would never, yeah. ever, like, I don't take offense to it. I don't, I don't, if, when my buddy's wives are like, man, you're going to really watch what you're eating. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for caring, <laughs> right? You know, like, I don't, I just, I, I appreciate it so much more now than, than I ever did, you know? Yeah. Right? Um, because I didn't have it for so long, or at least I felt I didn't have it for so long. Right? So thank mm-hmm. you, Lisa. Thank you. Yeah. It's a lot, hey, actually. I'm glad yeah. you're okay. <laughs> I was like, Norma, oh. I can't find your son. <laughs> I had no you idea. Know? Two right? moms. Jesus Christ. And I realized it was that I would have called you back right away, too. Um, I'll have to look. Maybe I just saw yeah. it like missed call. And then, because of course, it doesn't show you how many times I'm just yeah. scrolling. So. Wow. It's all okay. good. I'm just glad you're okay. But that was the reason I was asking that. I haven't had a crazy Lisa in my life in a long time. There you go. Everyone needs a crazy Lisa. Everyone needs a crazy Lisa. Um, (laughs) Right? But that was my worry is that I was like, you know, part of my brain. That's it. That's the part. Go ahead. Yeah. Crazy Lisa. That's bad. You know, Dr. Lisa, crazy Lisa, take your pick. But but it was like, (laughs) on one hand, I was like, you know, he's strong. He's strong. He's you know like you were focused you have a plan you know but then there's that other part of me that also knows that people that that decision can just like a switch right and then suddenly like you said you're waking up the next day going how did what did I do like how did I end up here again you know and so you know I always wonder like that's That's something that's not living in it and being a family member <laughs> is just that, you know, that question of being mm-hmm. around the old life, being around the people from the old life. And, and that's something that I worry about a lot. Like it's a huge fear of mine. Like yeah. not again, that I have anything against people in that life and I would do anything I could to help people but, in yeah. that life. Yeah, I, but when it comes to a loved one or a yeah. friend or somebody who's, working their sobriety i'm i'm terrified of mm-hmm. you know the one who's early in their sobriety being around and, yeah and with good reason 
with good reason, right? Without a shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. And had I stayed any longer, who knows, right? Um, I knew yeah. it was time to get the fuck out of there because it was time to get the fuck out of there, right? But uh, without mm-hmm. the show, I'm sure it doesn't end the same way. But because, well, without the show, none of it happens in the first place. But um, because of, you know, I have this drive now that, I, that I've never had before. I have a purpose. I have, you know, all of those things. It makes it much easier for me to, uh, you know, to stay strong. Um, let's take a minute. We're just going to cut to a quick break here. And uh, we'll be right back. Okay. I just wanted to stop recording because it's getting laggy. So. The following is a national emergency. A new study out shows there may be gross underreporting of opioid-related deaths. Canada's opioid, opioid, opioid crisis, crisis overdose deaths have been caused by toxic supply and street drugs. Devastating effects on families and communities across this country. One Canadian dies approximately every 53 minutes to overdose. That's 27 deaths every day and 837 deaths each month. That makes 405% more deaths to overdose than car accidents in 2022. Are you listening now? So who does this affect? Everyone from pro athletes to celebrities to business people and kids. This crisis affects us all. 77% of overdoses happening in people's homes. So how did we get here? These drugs were designed to ease pain, but their overuse has caused hundreds of thousands of Canadians to become addicted. Most addictions begin with prescription opiates, but later shift to unregulated substances like heroin and fentanyl due to availability and cost. This is a huge problem. The vast majority of overdose deaths are caused by a toxic street drug supply. The National Overdose Response Service is a 24-hour phone line providing anonymous support for substance users. NORS will co-create safety plans, dispatch EMS, or contact someone to administer naloxone without involving EMS. Please don't use alone. If using in the USA, please call Never Use Alone and download the Brave app. Okay, so we're back from the break. Um, and of course, that was the Norse commercial. And before we start talking about the things that, that lead into Norse and, and some cool things that happened with Attica last week, um, talk about Norse for a second. Guys, Norse needs volunteers. Um, and and I, I sent that one girl your way, Attica. I don't know if anything ever came of that. But um, if you want to help people with a really low impact on your life, a really low footprint on your life, you can have a giant impact on somebody else's. Um, you work when you want to work, um, you know, when you're available to, you don't have to commit to things ahead of time. Correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, Attica, but, um, it's, it's a great way to help people. 8,500 phone calls, not a single death. So to me, Norse is one of the things that's actually working. we got so many people trying so hard to do so many things. Norse is actually making a fucking difference every single day. So if you want to help out, please guys, please, please reach out to them at norris.ca and, uh, and help out. So... That's that. Now, about that, um, the, my two lovely co-hosts were at CSAM. That's the Canadian Symposium for Addiction Medicine, which is a pretty big deal as far as addiction medicine goes in Canada. Um, they both were scheduled to attend, and Attica got a, a pleasant little surprise there on a short notice. Why don't you tell us about that, Attica? Yeah, so I woke up and saw this text from Lisa. Are you going to be at CSAM? And then Monty also texted me. I saw you and Monty being on Dr. the Dr. Monty Ghosh, who was on, who yeah, was on the show Dr. some time ago. Yeah, Dr. Monty Ghosh. started talking about it's Norse like the, in a big way. So, yeah. yeah, co-founder yeah. of Norse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
oh, I saw you on the list of attendee, which you talk about Norse. So I just woke up, definitely didn't plan of talking, and it was really short notice. The first presentation I saw was when I had breakfast in the conference. And then I saw Dr. Monty, and then he talked to me about what I'm going to talk about, which gave me like, you know, I, I was I was okay because it's just explaining what I do. So it it's easy. And then we um we submit the presentation at like 10 minutes prior to the presentation. That's when we actually like <laughs> upload it to the guy. <laughs> and so um, me and the other, you know, and the, and the students of Dr. Monty. And yeah. I saw Lisa as well that morning. Um, and then I said to Lisa, yeah, I'm going to present here at three. And then Lisa was like, gonna have my camera ready <laughs> yeah uh, we do have somebody in the audience hi tessa by the way um i know she's watching uh tessa and i were very close she's um you know submitted for a memorial monday we were both in my final days of using um we're using together and uh um yeah so She's she's in the audience now, so hi to Tessa. That's so much better. I could tell already, Attica, that you're you're okay. yeah yeah we're oh, good wow. we're good we're good. Okay. okay. Um, let's talk about safe supply, Lisa. When I was at your place for supper before I left for for Thailand here, um, you were telling us about one of the talks that you attended, and this might get some people fired up, but I think it's something definitely worth talking about. So why don't you tell us what tell us what you told me. Yeah, so well, first thing, it's the Canadian Society of Addiction Medicine. So there's oh, an annual my, symposium my or conference. That's okay, which is okay. what we were at. Um, okay. But yeah, it's the Canadian Society of Addiction Medicine. And it's okay. so it's um, csam-cmca.org. Yeah. Um, okay. And so I've, I've been attending the CSAM conference since 2010. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I used to sit on the on the board as a resident. Um, yeah. And I've been involved in like a number of their committees, um, including mm -hmm. their conference committee. Um, one of the things that I really like, so I, there have been a few years, I, I go most years, but like, for example, my last year residency, trying to get ready for my real college exam, I didn't go. Um, I didn't go, I don't even think they held it every year during uh, COVID. They did do it virtually, which I attended at one point. This is this was probably my favorite CSAM conference <clears throat> that I've been to. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, in part because I feel like there were years where I went, and I mean, so who goes to the conference, right? It's a lot of um, physicians, right? So there's yeah. a lot of family doctors, there's a lot of psychiatrists, there's a lot of addiction counselors, um, social workers who work in addiction, um, a lot of nurses who work in addiction. You don't have to be, um, you don't have to work in addiction to go. Um, anybody can go, but obviously I think in part because it's, it's kind of expensive. So, you know, if yeah. you're not um, working in the field, there may not be the motivation to spend the money to attend. But in past years, I've often felt like it was like, people preaching to the converted. Like I was like, the uh -huh. people here know yeah. that this is an illness. The people here 
know that things need to change. And obviously, there's a lot of talks that are about, you know, the science and the, um, the biology of addiction, um, talking about treatments for addiction. Um, but I think, and maybe it's just a personal thing, but I've always been very interested in the policy behind addiction treatment. And because, and, and so I've often gone to these and gone like, you know, like, just felt almost like there was a lot of repetitive stuff and, you know, and maybe didn't go every year. That's sorts. what happened. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This particular year, I actually yeah. felt like there was some really passionate, controversial um, talks. And I okay. think that's important. Very. Right? Very. We Very. need yeah. people to get fired up and heated and debate to try to do better. And yes. this year that happened. Um, there was two, two things that I really enjoyed. So we'll talk about the one that you brought up. Um, there was a talk done by two psychiatrists out of Vancouver um, about safe supply. And so it was very, very interesting. Um, you know, they passionate had... subject at best. It's a passionate yes. subject, right? So, so yeah. Dr. Tangay, who's also been on the podcast, had said to me, "He's like, don't miss this talk." So Dr. Tangay was moderating the talk, and he's seen the talk done on other occasions, and he was like, "You need to go to this talk." So they've had safe supply in British Columbia from, and again, this is from that talk I attended, but for about three and a half years. So what these two psychiatrists, and they're very academic and psychiatrists, define, they do a lot of research. Safe supply. Yes. What so is what safe they supply? Were, what does that look like right now in yes. British Columbia? So yeah. what they were speaking to, and they were very explicit at the outset of this conversation, which I think got lost a bit because some of the, I don't know what the nice word is, some of the feedback from the audience um, yes. seemed to have missed that, you know, they were not talking about safe injection sites. They were not talking about OAT. They were talking about when a physician prescribes hydromorphone for you to fill at the pharmacy and use at home behind closed doors. That's what they were talking about, okay? Yes. So, because there were some people in the audience who, uh, somewhat aggressively were kind of challenging them about, you know, harm reduction or sorry, um, safe injection sites. And I'm thinking they said that on slide one, that's not what he's talking about. They showed videos, which were very moving of, um, there was a, a man who'd been sort of living an active addiction lifestyle for 30 years. They also interviewed a young 16 year old girl who was now addicted to fentanyl. Um, and then they were talking about the evidence um, that they had been able to gather and speak to. What came out of that was that people in active addiction who are addicted to opiates, hydromorphone does nothing for them. It and does not the people satiate. people that are addicted to fentanyl or to, to, the, to, the, yes. to the worst of the worst opiates, right? Exactly. Some people are addicted to hydromorph, so that, that's yeah. be a different totally. thing together, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. But I think the idea was, well, if you've got someone addicted to fentanyl, as a doctor, you're desperate to have something to do to help them. And some people seem to fail things like OAT. They don't, you know, it doesn't work for them or whatever. And so it's like, okay, we'll prescribe you hydromorphone, right? Yeah. They had these people talking inactive addiction, addicted to fentanyl, saying like, I, I sell it. It doesn't do anything for me. 
um, they, there was an individual, you know, again, talking about how he, he admitted that he would sell this to get money to go buy more fentanyl. And he was talking, he talked specifically about the reserves, which are supposed to be dry and clean. And so it's harder to get substances on the reserves. And yeah. I think it was something like a one to 25 ratio increased in cost. So for every, you know, for the dollar you spend by filling your prescription of hydromorphone, you get $25 worth on the reserve to oh, purchase this hydromorphone. Your more phone. But so this man in active addiction was saying like this, this doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't, I don't even feel it, you know? And so he admitted that he was diverting this to get money. Then there was a young girl and she had just had a 16 year old friend die of an overdose of opiates. And she talked about how her and her friend had become addicted to fentanyl. And what she said was that it's, and she was 12 or 13 years old when she started. And it started with buying somebody else's prescription hydromorph on the streets. And she said, it's very easy to find, you know, there's people selling it around the high schools. And she said it came in a prescription bottle. So to her as a 12 or 13 year old girl, she was like, well, this is from a doctor. So this is safe. They specifically said to her, when you were 12 or 13 and you took this bottle, would you have used fentanyl? And she said, well, no, because I believed fentanyl equals death. So she's like, I would never have touched fentanyl. But I believe that because this had come from a doctor, that this was safe. And then she talked about the increasing need as she built up physical tolerance to the opiate that she needed to use more and more and more hydromorph and to the point where the hydromorph was not enough anymore. And then she converted to fentanyl. So now she was 16 years old, addicted to a substance that she said she would have never started out using because of the hydromorph. So to me, both of those, like the story of somebody who was 30 plus years in the lifestyle, the story of a young child, um, and they were talking about how the majority of prescription hydromorph is actually being diverted. Were they able to give a percentage? No, I don't think no, so. And one, so of, one of, okay. no. well, um, here's the say, thing. This, I'll, I'll interrupt this, real quickly, so just to say that, yeah. that Tessa is chiming in and saying, this is the truest thing. It really does nothing. So this is Tessa, who has um, been in recovery from fentanyl addiction, and everything you just said is 100% correct. And, and she's yeah. been in recovery now for, well, just over, well, around a year, I guess, because her baby's, you know, a few months old. So, yeah, um, continue. Though. Yes, I find diversion also yeah. occur. Um, but it's because usually people don't get what they actually want. So, okay, I'm going to sell hydromorphone if I get meth. I'm going to sell hydromorphone if I get crack. Like, but, but there's like, or crack cocaine, but there's something that they want that they don't get. And, yeah, fentanyl. Fentanyl. Or, or right. fentanyl, yeah. So, right. so, so basically, it, okay. because we don't yeah. really prescribe fentanyl, right? Like, so they just. That, that's the problem. That's, that's the problem that's, with clean supply in my mm -hmm. mind. Uh, so I think the, the, the problem is that because there's no options, there's not enough options for people. That's why they divert because they don't want hydromorphone. Hydromorphone and, doesn't and, work, and it doesn't work for for and like you're 100 everyone. Right. Then, so, you're 100 then doctors right. so shouldn't prescribe keep, it. Exactly, doctors exactly. should not prescribe it. So do we just keep doing what we're doing because because it makes us feel better, no. or or do we and, fucking stop this train? Because here's the fucking thing, Lisa, and I, I know you're going to say this. I'm going to jump in on you on it it's ahead okay. of time. How many people are using these drugs that have been diverted and end up addicted to fentanyl anyway? 
as the yeah, progression like goes through opiate addiction, right? How yeah. many, how are we making the fucking problem worse by trying to make it better? Yes. That's my question. Because, because I think that there's a lot of people out there who wouldn't dare try, try fentanyl. They'd be like, I'm not going to use an illicit yeah. substance and use fentanyl, but oh, it's, it comes in a prescription bottle. And a lot of people believe anything in a prescription bottle is safe. Yeah. Because, and yeah, so because, use it. because it's not laced, it's not that, you know, all that shit yeah. that we worry about, right? So how many young people are being introduced to opiates through this diverted supply? Yes. And, and, and I don't yes. know what the answer to that is, but I'd sure like to fucking know. I can tell you well, that. And yeah. one of the things, too, that's super interesting is that what these two psychiatrists were sort of highlighting was that there has been safe supply in BC for three and a half years. Where's the data? They're like, yeah. there's data, but it's not getting published. Yeah. And they yeah. were like, isn't that suspicious? Yeah. Like, why yeah. are the people who are overseeing the safe supply not sharing the data? Yeah. Now, again, people in the audience who are safe suppliers, right? Physicians yeah. who prescribe the hydromorph. There was definitely people getting their backup. I mean, it got to a point at the end, like Dr. T Tange had to literally, he was like, okay, we're done. This has been a great conversation. People were literally shouting out, <laughs> like it was so yeah. unprofessional. It's like, we're at a medical conference, yeah. right? Um, just shouting things out and literally, and again, to me, and if she's listening, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are, but there was a person there who, based on what she was saying, she certainly sounded like a safe supplier. And she kept saying, but then what do we do? But then what do we do? And these two psychiatrists were like, we don't know, but let's stop pretending that this is helping. You know, and yeah. it's like, as physicians, we are supposed to A, do no harm. Yeah. Okay. And we're supposed to practice evidence-based medicine. Now, there are things that we don't have answers to. That doesn't mean we do something just to do something. And what these two physicians were showing is that there's a lot of data that seems to not be getting shared with the medical community. But the stuff that was accessible to them that they were speaking to, it was like, this isn't working and this is doing harm. Now, do we have a solution for the opiate or epidemic? No, but if this isn't working, we should probably stop. Right. So when and, we're uh, talking about, so when we're talking about safe supply, are we just talking about hydromorphone because there's that's there's what suboxone. they were speaking to. That, that, yes, that's no, what that's okay. was, no. right. Yeah. This is because, not OAT. It's not hard. It's, it's yeah, not safe injection sites. Okay. No, no, no. It's not that. I was yeah. going to say the the safe supply that is meth, crack cocaine, those those things. Mm that are okay. not prescribed Fair model. Enough. It's not a prescribed model, but it's it's the stuff that people actually like. People like meth. People like crack. And that's and... fine. That's that's absolutely fine. If if that's gonna help people and it's not laced with fentanyl, I don't think anybody can make no, it. No, 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 it's not laced. You know, and of course and... it isn't. Of course it isn't. I I'm, I'm so, agreeing with you, Attica. I'm agreeing with you. Right. I, I was I was wondering right. about that. Because hydromorphone yeah. doesn't work for some people. There's like some people who, yeah. who who prefer buprenorphine than hydromorphone. There are some people who prefer things, but are yeah. we are we giving them options for that? Are we giving people options of safe supply? So it's not just hydromorphone. Which it can be it, people that actually like. 
Okay, and, and so by the way, right after that, but the, the, this what, was the problem just... is, the, the problem is, sorry, Lisa, if I can. That's okay. Um, is that what we're doing right now doesn't work. Yeah. What we're doing right now, a, a huge a portion of this is being diverted. I'm going to read Tess's comment here. The prices of the drugs and the reserves has increased so much due to the ban, and we can, we know this, right? 30, yeah. 30 per cassettes, which would be 30 bucks in the city, would go for 150 on the res, uh, which you can then turn around and do it again again. Mm -hmm. it, her saying, and my addiction started the same way. I took a few of my mom's morphine when I was 17, 18 when she died. I went looking for more because I'd become reliant on it. And eventually, yeah, it, was, it wasn't strong enough. And even being on methadone for nine months at the time, when I was given when I was giving birth, there were, there were meds for me to help giving pain for birth, and they had to go through morphine and stuff before they finally gave me fentanyl um, for paperwork, which really upset me. Okay, so we're getting kind of off topic there, but exact exact same situation that we're talking about: seventeen, eighteen years old, using prescription drugs leads you to the worst of the worst, mm -hmm. and that's the fentanyl addiction, which we all know is a fucking death sentence. So mm -hmm. why, why? Are we continuing to, if these drugs are being diverted, then we need to change what we're doing. And maybe it's mm -hmm. more options, Attica. I'm not disagreeing with you, not for a second. Maybe maybe we do need to make sure that the people are getting the drugs that they need. Maybe it's a clean supply of fucking fentanyl. I don't know. Yeah. Right? And, and it's it actually is a clean what supply I was thinking. Fentanyl, right? And, I and do you think might, you that. Might be right. But what we're doing right now has to fucking stop. It has to, because we're just creating more goddamn addicts at the end of the I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I get <laughs> I get wild. Okay, Let, let's call them users. Yeah. Not like, <laughs> okay. There's and a stigma you're right, there. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, I know better. So than that. yeah, it's like they divert because they don't get the stuff that they want. It's like yes. if so, if so, the liquor store only had beer, and I don't yeah. drink beer, but it only has beer, and the black market has wine and vodka and gin. Duh! Oh, I will yeah. I will get the beer as much as I want and divert it into wine because I like wine. I don't like beer, you know? So it's like, and, and that's fine. I mean, but, that's what so I was thinking about with the, so safe we can't supply. double down on what we're doing. If we're going to do safe supply, then, then, then we need to do safe <laughs> supply and do it, it, you know, more tailored to the individual. And I don't know logistically yeah. if that's possible. I don't know legally. I don't know. But what I do know is if the majority, whether that's 51% or 91% of safe supply is being diverted, then we need to fucking stop and we need to stop right now right because yeah. because we're just creating more people to suffer in addiction more people addicted to fentanyl more people fucking dying with dirty supply you know with with the benzos and and the and the tracks that are that are being cut into it now right and people do yeah. enjoy benzo yeah but yeah. like i said that like there is like compassion club which is basically just an illegal way of getting a safer drugs yeah. and there's zero deaths from all of it there's yeah. uh, zero yeah. death from that compassion club and i want to pull more data on that and actually see what if we do clean like safe supply but options lots of options options that people actually like not just like hydromorphone or like people didn't know about it's like Things yeah. that, you know, drug dealers would sell, but in a way that is clean, without fentanyl or and, without and me, being laced. When, when I hear safe supply, that's kind of what I assumed until I learned all of this, that, that that's what was happening. That we were giving them a substitute drug and something that isn't going to cut it for them. And no, it doesn't it's really cut it, no. Right? Um, you know? But I do see some people really like hydromorphone and they just yep. stick on that dose and doesn't not interested in increasing the dose. But a lot, like many, many people love meth. And 
you know, I'm I'm curious yeah. about seeing like the death, you know, with. But the overdose deaths that. on meth are <laughs> negligible relative to opiates, right? Like uh, it's always, there, there well, it, is, it is an without opiate a doubt. There. It, yeah. But if there's opiate cut into the meth, right? But yeah, meth meth overdoses as as like that cause fatalities is negligible relative to what the same it is for coke relative to opiates, right? Yeah. So and I think for me personally, what gets me fired up is the opiate epidemic, right? And yeah. and, and those that, that are killing people, right? Um, meth meth kills people over very long term and it's horrible and shitty in so many ways but it's not it's not what causes you know 400 deaths a day in canada that's not the thing that's happening right yeah you know, so yeah. i wonder if um um if i could try to reach out to the that vancouver psychiatrist i wonder if we could get him to come on Ooh, um, i'd be in <laughs> yeah I'm going, i'd be in and hey, Atticus, speaking also... to your point tessa just said mm -hmm. um to, to to your point and maybe just a a really great way to, to kind of um, hyphenate it. No one wants decaffeinated drugs. <laughs> no, so, no, they, 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 no, so they, that's they, a great they, way to say what you're saying. They give it that. Yeah, they give it yeah. caffeine, yeah. right? So heroin yeah. and <laughs> caffeine are basically together. Yeah. Um, no, no, I so, decaffeinated. She was speaking figuratively. Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. No, nobody so, wants watered down dope, right? So, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so people just want the purest of the purest. And yeah. That's why, like, there's a conversation I had with Dr. McDonald, oh. um, Scott McDonald, one of the first physicians prescribing oat. But he also has this position about giving people options, not just safe yeah. supply, like, like safe supply hydromorphone. No, but like options, legit yeah. options, just like people, yeah. you know, like like liquor store or, yeah. you know, like I'm, bars. I'm a fan. If, if that's going so. to work and save lives, I'm a fan, 100%. Right. I mean, we and get I, zero deaths in the compassion that's not what's club right now. Right? Yeah, so. and I, well, in the compassion I agree. club, they... yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Lisa. I agree yeah. that we don't, you know, if if we can make sure that the person who's going to use meth is using meth that's not laced with fentanyl, then great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. all for that. Right. But yeah. again, I feel like what it speaks to is it speaks to the magnitude of this epidemic, the mm. desperation of physicians to help that you know the, it's it's hard as a physician to sit there and just do nothing you know yeah, it's right. hard to do nothing yeah. but at the end of the day what these guys were saying is this is not saving lives mm -hmm. you know and they're like with any other medication like if we're going to prescribe cardiac medications anti-cholesterol medications hypertension medications in medicine we talk about the number needed to treat how many people do we prescribe this to in order to help or save one person and there's expectations around prescribed medications that these medications are proven to be helpful you know um safe and what they're saying is that prescribing hydromorphone so to be more specific specific to prescribing hydromorphone to try to save people who are in the grasp of a fentanyl addiction it's not is not helping. It's not saving them. And all it's doing is creating more people with opiate addiction because it's getting diverted largely to children. Yeah, right. So there's, yeah, right. Now that largely to children, is that, is, is that inflammatory at all to say that? I mean, I don't it's, it's a great so. soundbite. It's a great soundbite. Yeah. And I, I don't know that it is. I'm not accusing anything of happening there, but I just, yeah. that's pretty, whew, 
Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, when you say largely I mean, to again, children, right? Like, you know, and yeah. we'll That's see. Like, true. I'll try and yeah, yeah, I'll try and reach out um, to this this physician and see if we can get him to come on and speak about this. Fuck yeah, that would be that would be awesome, right? Yeah. 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 So yeah. so um, she said something about I know for a fact that if you could buy all the drugs in a safe, responsible way, it wouldn't just save lives. That overdose would go down because of bad batches, but people would be more exposed to help. That's so true. That's that what harm reduction true. is to me, right? Yeah. Lisa, you made that point months ago. So, harm reduction is a chance to connect, right? Yeah. And it, that's so 100%. That, yeah. That's why yeah. what well I said, was sets. talking well about yeah. safe supply in a way that is offering options. Yes. yes. Like yeah. when I see, when I think of safe supply, I don't really <laughs> think just hydromorphone. Safe yeah. supply for everything. Benzo, Trank. If you want to take yeah. Trank, how to take it safely? Like you want to take, you know, Benzo. Take it and, safely. And 100% Don't mix it with Attica. other things. So it's like there's um, there's a whole episode to be done on that and and the logistics true, of it. Yeah, it's long. Can, but, can you do that? Can, can you do those things? But yeah. what what I really wanted to speak about here was you know what Lisa had brought that up when we were when we were having supper. The hydromorphone. The right. hydromorphone and, and the fentanyl addicts, right? Or people yeah. that are suffering an addiction. To it's fentanyl. probably working to just better, right? give I don't say fentanyl than just hydromorphone. Yeah. Right. If it's clean like, fentanyl, if it doesn't have the benzos and doesn't have the, you know, yeah. all that in it, then why not? Right. I, yeah. and, and again, though, there's a whole conversation. There's a there's a fucking <clears throat> series to be made about safe supply as a generality. Right. Like and in, mm -hmm. in, in the things that that involves. Right. So, um, wow. And wow. as like a medication prescriber, like one of the things that I would be sitting there, I mean, I'm a, the idea of prescribing fentanyl just terrifies me. Um, yeah. But as you know, people's yeah. tolerance can change. And I'm like, so if somebody, for example, has two months sober, and then they've yeah. got a prescription of fentanyl that I gave them in the cupboard, and then oh. they decide to relapse, well, now they're oh. going to overdose on the prescription fentanyl I gave them. I don't know. I don't right. know. So, you know, so how yeah, do you... right now we that, see there's a whole fucking episode to be done on this, right? Yeah, you know, uh, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. That's different terrifying. aspects. I mean, prescribing meth is also um, morally challenging because we know that meth destroys the brain. It's it's, it's really different does. than like yeah. giving alcohol, right? Like it's different than doing an alcohol management program, and mm -hmm. but yeah, it's like. It's it's surprising yeah. to me how how much people actually tolerate meth, how much people actually tolerate that amount of fentanyl, every yeah, hour. I agree. They do toke every single hour. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, ladies. Um, we are getting to the hour mark. Uh, Lisa, were you about to say something? If you were, please do. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I did want to just bring up that another um, talk that I loved at CSAM. Was uh, okay. Dr. Yeah, yeah, Tangay yeah. and another psychiatrist right. yeah. did yeah. a did a debate in front of an audience about mandated treatment. Fuck, I love Angie, that one. Um, Angie from Far told me about this. And yes. Apparently, the video was only was accessible there. to people that paid for it. Okay. Um, yeah. That attended or whatever, but um, hopefully, maybe I can see it through somebody. That else was and, good. You know, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to see this. Yeah. It and actually yeah. changed it was... my opinion, so it's good. Really? Ooh. And it was, I just oh, want to add, it was moderated by somebody who had lived yeah. for many years in active addiction. He shared that he had been in the ICU eight times. He had been incarcerated four times. 
and he's now sober um, and working in addiction, I think, as like a peer support counselor sort of role, if I recall yep. correctly. Yep. Um, and he moderated the talk. And so they each had not, a, not, not enough minutes. They each had a certain number of minutes to kind of say their piece. Then they sat down and the moderator would ask them questions that had been pre-selected oh. and they each, you know, he would ask the question to one person and the other could rebut um, the response. Yeah. And yeah. it was, it was pretty powerful. Um, and actually oh, Dr. Tange oh. had shared yeah. with me that since that talk, he has had a lot of physicians reach out to him saying like, okay, like, so how would this work? Like, how do, how do we do this? Um, Fuck, see, those are the conversations the right that way. need to happen. That is so good. But right? and he was and, so excited. Oh, I think that, that it happy. was, I, yeah. I, I'll tell you what, Lisa, I'm fucking excited that I just heard Attica say, yeah, it's I know we should hear about this. Yeah. Because here, yeah. like at the end of the day, I just care about the findings. I care about the data and how the data are actually played. Like how, how do you collect the data? In what procedure are you collecting the data? And is there randomized enough and things like that? So I find that his paper is more, I would say that it carries, um, it's more scientifically sound that okay it's mandated treatment but you actually give treatment like a legit like everything holistic, holistic yeah. treatment yeah. Yeah. so yeah. i did talk to dr tangue about it and yeah it's not just like locking caging people up it's not that but actually no. giving every single thing that they need um and hey if the study proves it that's all I need it is if there's no bias into it and the study proves it, that's all I need to know. And that's the same thing with every other thing. Like, you know, in medicine, you just, like Lisa said, try to not do harm. And, um, you know, you, you, you want to help your patient and you want, you want to give the best for your patient. So if the evidence shows like that without, without it being biased, then, that's all I need it. That's wonderful. That's all I need it. And so yeah. And it takes some. I'm not great at at um, at making those points. The way who is great the way Dr. Tange is so right. Um, it, and and that's that's kind of the person or, or people like him that that need to start making these that having these conversations and making these talks mm -hmm. and you know people people that can really put it in a way that uh, that makes sense to everybody. Mm -hmm. So well, um, one of the I, things, I, if I can mm -hmm. make one other point, is that of at the end can. of yeah. this, yeah. the the gentleman who was moderating the talk, he'd asked something of Dr. Tange and Dr. Tange just looked at him and said, you know, through the lens you have today, you tell me, he said, think back to the you and active addiction. Did yeah. you have capacity? Yeah. yeah. And this guy thought for a moment and then smiled at Dr. Tange and Dr. Yeah. Tange said, that's enough. That, that answer is enough for me. Right. Because I, right. you know, I think he was so, just like, yeah, like the, the, right. the decision making I was doing back then, that was mm -hmm. not with capacity and, and with a clear mind. And mm -hmm. it was not weighted and controlled by who I am when yeah. I'm healthy and well. Yeah. And that's, that's the reality, right? So Tess is just asking now, I'm so incredibly interested in this. Where do I look it up? Um, Tess, I don't know, but if I manage to get my hands on the video, I will most certainly share it with you. That said, Lisa, when I was at your place for supper, I said, that's a conversation I like to have with somebody who's lived it. All it's all we've had this conversation with, at least on the show is, 
is a bunch of us who have not been addicted to opiates, mm-hmm. who have not who have not lost capacity due to addiction, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, w- I would like to get somebody on and maybe test if, if you're that person, uh, you can most certainly come on and, and we can get your opinions on mandated treatment and how that would have affected you in your, you know, in your days, right? So um, let's, let's talk more with Tess about that. And, you know, I most certainly will offline here anyway, but um, again, we could go on up, for hours, right? It's like, there's so much. I know here. it yeah, came up yeah. about the new program that's being implemented in Alberta. And I, I don't know the yeah. name of it and I'm not going to describe it appropriately, but it's in the prison system in Alberta. There now, okay. there's a program that's being rolled out where people are being, there's a, a therapy program. And apparently, um, because this got brought up, because they were kind of talking about when's the right time to mandate treatment? Is it when someone shows up in the ICU? And obviously, once they're well enough to leave the ICU, is it when they get incarcerated? Like, when is it? Um, But apparently, this program in Alberta, which is brand spanking new, um, there were 12 spots, and there was 300 applicants for those 12 spots in prison. Wow. You know, um, that's, that's just, that shows a lot, right? That shows a lot. Yeah. Um, I know Amanda Stoller has been very quiet about that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but I know she works in the prison system here in Alberta, and I know she's had something to do with yes. this program that's rolling out. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to getting her on as well again. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll talk to her maybe even next weekend. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. She's, once it's been rolled out, she can she can open up a little bit more about all that jazz, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, and Amanda's a fantastic guest anyway. I haven't had her on a ramble yet, so you ladies haven't uh, had the opportunity, but I did have her on on yeah, a, on a one-on-one interview, right? Yeah. And she's, she's epic and awesome, and she's one of those people who lived it for, for years and years and years. She's mm-hmm. lived it, right? And, and she believes in recovering out loud, so I'll, I'll talk to her about coming back on. But, hey, yeah. listen um, – I think I, I, this is an episode. I, we could go on and on and on forever, but it's one o'clock in the morning here, damn near, and I have to set up an episode. <laughs> I have to edit and release this episode tonight yet. So, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, yeah. and go to bed. I'm supposed, supposed to go golfing in the morning. I was like, no, I'm not. Right? No, I'm here to not be stressed out. And golf is whack fuck to me. I want nothing to do with golf. <laughs> I, they told me at like seven o'clock. Oh yeah, we're going golfing tomorrow. I was like, oh, are you? Because I'm not. Have like, fun. I want no fucking part yeah. of that. Right? Yeah. No, not at all. You guys tell me it's all about not stressing me out. You don't want the di- my fucking food to stress me out. Never mind golf. Jesus Christ. Chris, have right you ever now. heard the Robin Williams stand up um, about on, on the golf? invention Absolutely of golf? Absolutely, I have. Absolutely, so I have. Yeah, it is. So it good. is right. It's hilarious, yeah. right? So. Um, and Tessa saying, yes, she would do that. So maybe we'll get her on for next weekend's ramble or something as well. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I'll talk to her. And I'll scheduling. reach out and see if I can get yeah. those, you know, one of those psychiatrists to come oh, on. Oh, I would love that. I would absolutely um, love that. And it's it's almost time for Tangay again, I think. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. so. You mm-hmm. know. And also, Remember, I'm in Attica, I'm in when you first came on the show as a co-host, it was the week before that that we had Tangay on. And I wouldn't let you come on because I, I wanted to... Remember, you were like, I want to come on. And, and I was like, no, 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 I'm going to wait until... Um, Wait, I'm going to give him a shot to come on and say his piece without having somebody arguing with him. And I regret that decision oh, now. Oh, no. No, because yeah, like, yeah. I don't argue with Tengay. Like, I, yes, I respect yes, him. I He's like top Again, three doctors in my mind. Okay. <laughs> it was me yeah. being protective, right? And I'm saying okay. I regret that decision now. So, mm-hmm. right. There you it's go. Fine, there it's you fine. Go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, <laughs> listen, it's time for my favorite part of the show, and that is the Daily Gratitudes. Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become the best selves through support and treatment. They've been there and they understand. So, Attica, what you got for us today? Daily Gratitude, well, I'm happy to be in this podcast and I'm so thankful that you're 
happy right now. It seems like you're mm -hmm. so yeah. much better off over there. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thankful yeah, for. Thank you. Thank you. Lisa, what you got for us? I was going to say the same thing. I'm grateful that you're there, that you're well. Last weekend, I went through all kinds of mixed emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Worry, anger, um, you know, for all the family members listening, you know, me and Chris had a moment last weekend where I had all the gamut of apparently, emotions. I, I didn't know, but apparently we had the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I am grateful that you're well. I'm actually grateful, too, that you, as much as it, like, in the moment, I was terrified knowing you were back there, that you might be with people that you'd used with only for fear that it would end badly for you but i'm actually yeah. grateful that you had that and that because mm -hmm. it, like you said i think it's you know you had an opportunity to see that through the current lens that you have yeah. and yeah. you know my belief and my hope is that there was a lot of value in that for you and so i'm grateful that purpose, you had that right yeah yeah, yeah that's that's what I, t I take from that was a renewed sense for sure mm -hmm. um for myself do i not have to be grateful for Right now, right here I am in beautiful Thailand, uh, one o'clock in the morning, doing my podcast thing, which I love to do, and I love Thailand so far. I mean, life is pretty good for me right now. Um, grateful for a renewed sense of purpose. Grateful for two lovely co-hosts and the conversations that we have because they are real, right? And sometimes I get so wrapped up in it and I lose track, and then like a test jumps in here and she's like, "Oh my god!" And it's like, "See, there's some validation, right?" Like, yeah. "Yeah, we're having real conversations on this show, and it's really fucking cool." Some of the things that we talk about, so I'm very, very happy for that. And um, I'm also very, very thankful to each and every person that is listening, watching, supporting us in general. Keep uh, keep like, sharing, comment, do all those things. Um, if you're if you're on uh, if you're on Spotify or YouTube right now, if you could hit that subscribe button, it really does help. And follow me on the Facebook page. Uh, I've got my GoPro going crazy. I'm taking footage all the time and, and uploading it uh, for this journey here in Thailand. Every time you do any one of these things, you're getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living, spreading the message. The message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a family member. Call into detox. Go to a meeting. I don't care. Do whatever it is you've got to do to get that journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you are the loved one of somebody who's suffering an addiction right now, you're just taking the time to listen to our conversation. If you could just take another minute out of your day and text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words. You are, are loved. loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings it back. Well done, ladies. My body's getting cold. My life is running low. Feel me falling. My life is running out. I pray I make it now. Go because